Folks, things are not changing. They've done already changed. We're in a different season than we've ever been in before. And what we've anticipated for 50 years is upon us. The horses are neighing at the hitching post. And the riders need to get on the saddle and say, God, I want to go wherever you lead. This is a perfect time for all the slackers to go somewhere else. Because we don't need to rely on people who are like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. You really do need to consider whether this is where you want to be. Because the times that are ahead are going to be the most exciting ever, but they're going to be like fire under gold. And it's going to bring dross to the surface. You really need to consider whether this is your place. Whether you've got your, your vision and your heartbeat in some other world, and you're just trying to take care of your eternity problem here. If that's you, I'm telling you there are other churches that can give you a much fuller life in the world. And you really need to consider whether this is where you want to be. Because the diesels aren't humming. They're loud in our ears. And we are already committed to go all the way, no matter the cost. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. While we were in Idaho, Brother Kevin ministered to us about leaving our comfort zones and breaking our plausibility structures and finding the grace and power of God in our lives. And he quoted from that scripture that is so familiar to us from 2 Kings 7, where there was a terrible famine and the prophet spoke something that all plausibility structures disallowed. He said, about this time tomorrow, a measure of flour will be sold for this and a sea of barley for that. Amen. And those people who lived in those plausibility structures of human capacity cracked up laughing. You know, Brother Kevin, they've been laughing at us every step of the way. They laughed when we left New Jersey. They laughed... When we started Rehoboth, they laughed when the church began down here. They laughed at homeschooling and home birthing. They laughed at everything. And when they couldn't laugh, they growled, bore their teeth and showed their fangs and tried to intimidate us. You got on the wrong side of it, people. If God is for us, who can be against us? For who can stand against the Lord? Dad always said that they were just a band of four lepers who had nothing left to lose, and that's why the Lord was able to use them. You know what that guy said, that, that mocker, that, that guy who didn't believe the Word of God? He said, <laughs> if God were to open the windows of heaven, such a thing couldn't be. Only a couple times is that phrase mentioned in Scripture. The windows of heaven... But one of the times is, is the familiar passage in Malachi 3 and 10 where the Lord challenges His people. And He says, 
Bring in the whole sacrifice, the tithe. Give what you are committed to give to God. And test me in this. And see if I don't open the floodgates, the windows of heaven. And pour out on you such a blessing as you cannot contain. And in that, in that passage, we see that oftentimes those provisions, those answers, that outpouring of blessing that we are looking at heaven for. Heaven is looking down at us and saying, if you would just give your everything. If you just give the last full measure of your devotion. If you just take up your cross and follow me. If you just make a heap of all your whinings, all your fears, all your judgments and complainings, and put it on an altar and say, God, if it's going to burn, let it burn for you, then the Lord would respond with an outpouring you couldn't contain. You see, even when we talk like that, you worry. Because we can't make bargains with God. We don't know how things are going to end out. We don't know. We don't have this guarantee, do we? Well, we do, but we don't know the details. We know that he says, I know those who are mine and none shall snatch them out of my hand. So if it's enough to be in his purpose and gripped in his hand, then that's our guarantee. And we know that he says, that the Lord is able to keep that which we have committed to His care. If it's enough to be in His care, then we have a great guarantee, right? And we know that He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So if it's enough to be with Him, then we have a guarantee. But we don't have a guarantee of all the things that we're going to get and all the blessings that we're going to receive right we don't have that god didn't promise you a certain number of days he is pretty blunt with you he says what's your life it's but a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away it's like a hand breath god just opens his hand and that's a whole life he shuts and it's over we don't know that like job we're not going to suffer the loss of all the things we love most he hasn't promised us the particulars, but He's promised us a relationship. And if the relationship with Him is enough, then in His presence there is fullness of joy. And at His right hand, where I am firmly gripped, there are pleasures forevermore. But if I don't have that, if I can't say also with the psalmist, the nearness of God is my good, then I'm in trouble because I'm going to want all this and that and the other thing, right? I don't know anybody who lives a fulfilled life. I don't know anybody who lives a life of abundant blessing that wouldn't honestly tell you that it unfolded exactly the opposite of what they expected. Mom, can you agree with that statement? Have there been blessings? Yes. Have there been miracles? Yes. Have there been answered prayers? Yes. Has there been fruit? Yes. Has there been love, joy, 
peace. Yes, yes, yes. Has it happened just how you expected? Not at all. You see, the mind can't stay and park. It can't hover and idle when God starts telling it it's gonna, he's going to do something great. The mind starts to put it all together. And that image, that map that we put together in our heads, it often becomes the biggest barrier to the thing he promised. Because he doesn't take the path you chose. He doesn't go through the gate you chose. He doesn't come through the person you expected. He doesn't do things our way. But he's good, good, good. And if we get stuck in our way, then we get stuck empty, frustrated, and eventually bitter and dejected, separated from the promises of God. Is it possible to be separated from the promises of God when they're dumping from heaven all around you? I think it is. That's what that story tells us. We all know this passage, but I remember I ministered it the first time in 2007, but I read it again this morning, Jeremiah 17. You know it. Through your own fault. I like the way that started. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you do not know. For you have kindled my anger and it will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. What's he so upset about? What's he, what's he so upset about? This is what the Lord says. How many know what, what the next words are? Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from Yahweh. Through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in a land you did not know, for you have kindled my anger, and it will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a shrub in the wasteland or the desert and this next line what does it say they will not see prosperity when it comes this scripture is telling us that because we shifted our faith we shifted our trust then we are relationally shifted our position is changed Prosperity is coming down the riverbank of God's promise. But we're over here in this parallel space of our own wasteland of unbelief. Do you see this, guys? Do you see this? And it's simply an attitude of trust. They will be like a shrub in the desert. They will not see when prosperity comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. 
they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It doesn't matter how dry it is. It's awful. You can kick the grass and it's just powder in the wind, but you go down to the river and those cottonwoods are acting like nothing's wrong. Even those pecan trees down by the riverside are just raising their hands saying, I'm still okay. He's saying there's going to be surface trials. There's going to be dry times on the top, but there's going to be water underneath for those who will plant themselves in the place called trust. Are you planted there? Or do you only activate your trust when fear is knocking at your door and you think you're in trouble? You see, we all know where to call, who to call, what to do, how to pray. When death breathes down our neck, when tragedy comes crawling, amen, or pouncing as the case may be, but oh yeah, we're so totally self-sufficient when life's going good. We spring back and we're living by the flesh. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? So after he tells us that the difference in your position, a position of drought and parchment and a position of fruit and life, he says it's all about trust. Then he just throws in this statement, your heart is unknowable because it is so conniving, it is so deceitful, it lies to you. That's what your heart does. It lies to you. It tells you fairy tales that are convenient to believe, especially when they make someone else the problem. The heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to their deeds. How many of us want to live in a parallel desert when God has a river of life flowing through the kingdom of God. How many of us want to go out there and show our independence, shrub independence in an isolated desert because we think it's always going to be as green as it is at the end of March? No, hard times are coming. And you better connect yourself to water sources that are deeper than surface solutions. Amen. You better get in the river of life. You better get very near the river of life. Do we have any parallel societies here, brothers and sisters? Do we have any parallel societies here, brothers and sisters? Because we're all here to, to create a society where Jesus is king. And that society is a place 
where relationships are ordered by His Word and filled with His love. That society is a place of sacrifice. It's also a place of blessing. That society is supposed to replace all the counterfeits that the world would suggest. It's supposed to become the ultimate for all of us. The kingdom of God on the earth. Amen? And there are certain parallel societies out there, aren't there? Aren't there places that the world invites and says, you can find your fulfillment here. You can find your purpose like this. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and He'll take care of all your needs. He'll do the adding unto you if you'll do the seeking first, the kingdom and His righteousness. But we can develop little parallel societies right in here, can't we? Oh, you might call them cliques. You might call them alternate ways of doing things. But we can develop it right here, can't we? Well, you know, I don't do things like that. But You know how easy it is to be on the edges? You know how easy it is to, to dabble in your walk with God? To occasionally visit the Spirit? To come to meetings just enough to not be missed and not enough to really be a part? You know how easy it is to let all the hard sacrifices pass you by. The late nights staying up praying with young people. The great efforts to move a vision forward that is against entropy. Amen. You know how easy it is? I'm telling you, it's easy. There's a few who have found it quite comfortably. But who is going to suffer? Who is going to suffer? It's not going to be the church because the church, God is going to bring people hungry, hungry, honest people that they've been praying for for 50 years to the hungry soul. Every bitter thing is sweet. Amen. Oh, God is raising up new people. If you came to this church some 20 years ago, let's say if you left this church 10 years ago, and you came and you looked around, how many have been baptized in the last 10 years? Raise your hand. Get them up higher, please. Look at that. It's about 25% of this congregation in the last 10 years. The church you left 10 years ago isn't the church you're in today. It's changing. And then there are, there are seven other congregations besides this one. And the disparity is probably even greater in those places. So it's a different place. God is always saying, if you can't find this precious, that's okay. I'll find somebody who does. God has always got a Jacob in the wings who for all of his problems and failures and conniving, he values the birthright. And for every Esau who turns his face away from the promise, there's a Jacob reaching out his hand saying, I'll take it. I'll take it. I've reached the end of myself and I'll take it. Praise God for who he's bringing at these times. He's going to bring them from the east and the west. The sons of the kingdom are going to find themselves on the outside and they're going to be the ones who suffer 
Hebrews 6.10 says God is not unjust. How does that scripture say? Is it Malachi, Brother Zephyr? He says, you say to the Lord, the table of the Lord is contemptible. For we have sown much, but gathered little. Now that sounds like God's unjust. You know, that's the exact same argument that Jesus quoted in the parable of the talents. How did that guy say it? He says, you reap where you scattered no seed. I knew, I know you, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I hid. Hmm? And this is an example of somebody who does not invest into the kingdom of God. This is an example of somebody who finds a parallel society, who pours themselves into some sphere other than the kingdom of God. And it was because he was afraid he was going to give a bunch and not get back what he'd been promised. Can we agree that this man in Jesus' parable is a suspicious man? And can we agree that he did a little calculation that he was afraid he was going to give himself for so many years and then he wasn't going to get back what he put in? You know, I get nervous when I hear people say things like, this isn't what I signed up for. I'll tell you what I signed up for. I signed up to become the property of Jesus. I signed up to lose the claim that hell had on me. I signed up to give every day, every hour, every occasion, whatever love demanded, expecting nothing in return, but knowing I served a good, good, good God who would outgive me every time. I didn't sign up as a bargain. I didn't check the dividends before I made the investment because I didn't give myself for what I could get. I gave myself so that I could be gotten. I could be taken and possessed by the only one who's worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. How does it say there? We sowed much but gathered little. Is that the scripture? It's the same concept. I'll tell you, it's a dangerous concept. It really is. You better be careful. It's a dangerous mentality. I hear people say things like, well, you know, I remember when, when, uh, when my dad or my uncle or my second cousin twice removed gave so much time and effort and they made hardly any money. Yeah, and you're standing there on the dirt that they gave their sacrifice to give you. Shut your mouth. <laughs> Maybe they gave us more than money. Maybe they gave us life, relationships, truth. And maybe they willingly gave themselves to a vision that didn't have an automatic, instantaneous response because they believed in the word of God more than the plausibility structures or the calculations and machinations of the carnal mind. 
And so I want to be careful what I speak while standing on their sacrifice and taking it for granted. Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. What is the work that God won't forget? Can I read it again? And I want you to listen to the work that God won't forget. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. The love that you have shown Him as you helped His people. What is the work? Oh, we already know that we can give our bodies to be burned. But if we have not Love, it profits us nothing. When you find a profitless sacrifice, you find a sacrifice devoid of love. If you can ever honestly say, look how much I gave and look how little I got, I assure you, if you will look closely, what you should be saying is, look how much I gave without my heart really in it. Look how much I gave that was as a purchase instead of a sacrifice. What does Paul say? Where the heart is willing, the gift is acceptable. All you have to do to feel like a cane for the rest of your life, work yourself to the bone, but do it from a grudging spirit. Because what God really wants from us is our will. If it pleases you, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and make a sacrifice. He doesn't want it if it doesn't please you to give it. Ananias and Sapphira, while it was in your possession, was it not yours to do with as you pleased? I'll tell you, everything given as a purchase is ashes in your mouth. Everything given as a duty is a dead work. Filthy rags. But your labor of love, he will not forget. Did you do it for love? Did you do it for the love that was its own reward? Did at times you hope that nobody would even know that it was you who did it because you didn't want the love you felt to be diminished? Or did you do it all as a conniving, manipulating purchase? Or merely just a, an exchange of duties and rights? What did Peter say to the Lord? Lord, we have forsaken all to follow you. And what did he respond? There is none. There is none who has forsaken houses. What were the other things? Fields, lands, wealth for, for the kingdom of God that will not receive a hundred times more in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. Now somebody could put that to a calculator and add it up in a spreadsheet and say, well, I gave this amount of money and I've only got this much in the bank. 
Well, let God be true and every man a liar. Let's talk to those who gave from love. Have you ever outgiven God? I'm serious. Let's talk to those who gave from love. Let's talk to those who gave a mite, a widow's mite from love and learn that it was more than all the hard toil of the grudging who might have filled the coffer ten times. Luke 6, 38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Can everybody say in full? Every time you feel like you're outgiving God, I want you to say, God is love still in my sacrifice. Because we are told that there is a sacrifice that we can make that profits us nothing. But then we are told by the Lord that if we give, we will receive. And then he says, you, your gift will return to you in full. And then he adds to it, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more until it's running over and pouring in your lap. You handed God a cup that cost you something. And he came back and took that same cup and he put his love and his joy, his goodness and blessings in it. But when he put it before you, he said, no, 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 give me that cup. And he shook it until everything settled a little bit. Then he pressed on it and he added some more. And then he kept adding it until it was dumping into your lap. That's how God repays the cheerful giver. And I'm not talking about monetary offerings here, brothers and sisters. I'm talking about investing in each other's lives. Though, of course, it does apply across the board, doesn't it? Do you believe that scripture? No, I'm asking you, do you believe that scripture? Do you believe that your gift will return to you in full? Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured, in, poured into your lap. The amount you give will, will determine the amount you get back. Quote, unquote. Do you believe that scripture? So do you believe that in a certain kind of persistent emptiness should indicate something about your attitude? I'm just saying scripturally. Do you believe that a certain kind of gnaw in your gut should indicate a certain kind of attitude on your part. What kind of attitude should it indicate? Do you find someone perennially dissatisfied? What kind of attitude should that indicate? I couldn't find the date, but I remember my dad ministering to us. My, my brother Nathaniel reminded me and somebody might remember the date. I couldn't find it. But he ministered to us on why communities succeed and fail. I found that. The sisters helped me find that. But in that 
in one of those meetings, he made this statement. He quoted somebody, and they made this statement. It was a historian or sociologist, and they said that the success or failure of communities pivots on this question. Am I for the community or is the community for me? This broad study said that societies will fail or succeed on this pivot. Am I for the community or is the community for me? Everybody remember? Do you, do you, does anybody remember that? Let me ask that. Well, I do, and I'll find it for you. Am I for the community or is the community for me? This was the pivot. Whether it would start a decline. You look at governments and how can you not try to gain the system? How can you not try to get from the system everything you can because you don't trust the system? It doesn't care about you. It doesn't love you. And you don't love it or care about it, right? And if you bring that into your local community, what happens? Well, it might work a little bit. What about if you bring it into your family? At some point, you start to realize that there isn't a system. There's just people. <laughs> and you're going to be gaining mom or dad. You're not going to be gaining the system. Everybody with me so far? So, you know, John Kennedy in his inauguration speech said, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Well, he had something, didn't he? Man, the liberals would roll over in their graves today. <laughs> That's all they ever do is demand what their country can do for them. But come on, he had something, didn't he? He had an insight. He saw that America would fail as soon as everybody began to look at it as a system that owed them something. And I'll tell you what, we will fail as soon as we make the same decision. This is a temple. And temples are unique as places of sacrifice. And I am here to give myself for the furtherance of the gospel and the betterment of my brothers or sisters. I am not here to receive. I am here to give. Isn't that what he was saying when he washed their feet? He said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to serve and to die. That was his purpose. And in view of God's mercy, we're invited to make the same sacrifice. Not a ransom, but a contribution. One of the most exciting things to me is hearing the love service in the body that I had never heard about before or never saw coming. And it just, oh, it humbles you. It's the heartbeat of who we are, and if we ever lose it, we've lost everything. And, and from time to time, you know, we'll see it in great displays, but it, it's the small things. I'll be honest with you. I, Sister Sarah Reed came and became part of us, um, single mom, and she's now in Idaho, and I, I think quite happy up there. Um, but... I remember when somebody told me about how 
because she had to work, um, her young son spent a lot of time with the Gomez family. And that in that context, they embraced him and taught him Spanish and made him part of their family. I can't tell you what that did to me. I can't tell you what that did to me. It, it somehow was, that's what you want to hear. That's what you want to know. And, you know, I don't, I, I'm sure that there was no monetary exchange or anything like that, but money has to follow service, has to follow service. Sometimes it should follow service, but it has to follow service when love is no longer the, no longer the currency of a community. But Proverbs says, lend to the poor and you lend to God and he will repay you. There's something so wonderful. And it's not just the barter system. It's the love system. It's the care system. I mean, it gets me. I thought about it, Brother Caleb, when you were testifying. You guys, like us, went through a pretty harrowing trial. What was the body to you in that trial? I'm sorry. You see, we have to have those debts in our lives. Sometimes I don't even know that I get to know somebody until they go through something where I feel like I have this opportunity to give to them. Somebody suffered a great loss and when we were gone, and I can't wait to catch up with them and talk to them. I have something from the Lord for them. You see, the devil's blows or tragedies or life's challenges, they are opportunities for the kingdom of God. But they also will reveal how connected we are to each other. And sometimes we've got to look in and say, why didn't I do anything? Why didn't I care? Why didn't I step up to the plate? And other times we have to look at ourselves and say, have I made myself a shrub in the desert? Because there's a river that makes glad the city of God. And I can sit out here in my shrub-like independence and make all my demands all I want. But I see others drinking from the life that I say I want. I remember when Sister Roxy passed away. Sister Roxy never married. She had no family. I don't, I don't believe her family was any part of her passing. Did she have family? But if, if she did, they were no part of her passing. And when her cancer became terminal, young people stayed awake around the clock and some were born into the kingdom of God through the songs they thought they were singing to her. It's like suffering is a magnet for love. If that suffering takes place in the body of Christ. I mean, it was unbelievable. You couldn't keep people away. And she was receiving good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over everything she'd ever given. Don't doubt it, brothers and sisters. If you've lived for the kingdom of God, you're going to die in the kingdom of God. You're going to be loved by the kingdom of God. It's here for you. But don't live in some parallel society and then expect it to come clean up the mess. That will not work. Think of 
Sister Anne and her passing, Sister Darla and Sister, I Sister Aileen and so many different ones and Brother Robert's passing. I mean, these, these trials change the people around them more than the person in the crucible. Wouldn't you agree with it? I mean, Brother Warren, I mean, who might not have been in the kingdom if it hadn't been for Brother Robert's passing? Not his ministry. He did more in his passing than in his all of his life and ministry. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. My dad used to minister that. Amen. But precious in the sight of the Lord is any need in the body. If it's in the body. If it's in the body. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I was young and I am old now. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Look what he just said. He said, I was young, I'm old now. I've never seen the righteous want. And then the next words out of his mouth, he says they are giving people. They are generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. Turn from evil and do good. Then you will dwell in the land forever. For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Wrongdoers will be completely destroyed and the offspring of the, of the wicked will perish. Me for the society or the society for me? Which is our approach? Come on, which is it? Is it you for the kingdom or the kingdom for you? Who would miss your sacrifice of love? Who would miss the grace that you brought into their life? Oh, you say, oh, I'd be missed here and there. Well, I'm sure you would, but that's probably replaceable. But God made you with a heart like nobody else. And He put a deposit of grace in your life. And He put love service as your goal. And there are people who need that love service in their lives. The grace of God ministered in its various forms. Sister Camille, if you were no longer with us, we would miss you. You bring us joy. You bring us optimism and victory. I could just start going down the line behind you. Brother Steve, Sister Jer, Brother Joel, I could jump over to others. They give you so much. Do they live their lives as the kingdom is for me or do they live their lives as me for the kingdom? I want you to make up an evaluation right here and now. Where have you poured yourself out? Where is your sacrifice? Where is the love? Where is the heart that you have put into others? Where is the cup of water that you have given? Oh, we are all babes at the beginning, right? Isn't that right? And Paul contrasts a childishness to love. And everybody starts out as an utterly self-centered baby. It's when they stay that way that it becomes such a disgusting tragedy. Such a wearisome, toilsome tragedy in the church. 
And so he says in his 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter, he says, when I was a child, I thought like a child, understood like a child. It was all about me. When am I hungry? Where do I want to go? I need this and I need that. And in children, that's precious. We don't complain, do we? But the day comes when we say, listen, infantis tyrantis, as my dad would call them. <laughs> it's time for you to get up and get yourself a drink of water. And in the kingdom of God, it's the same way. When, when you first come in, it's all self-centered. And everybody's available and everybody's waiting on you hand and foot. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, would to God that he would put the energizing of love in that atrophied corpse. Would that he would put the breath of inspiration and faith into those lungs. Would that he would point you outside yourself and show you the place where you can lay yourself down as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and demonstrate his will and purpose. Thank you, Jesus. We don't sacrifice to be significant. We don't sacrifice to be noticed. We don't give our bodies to be burned so that we can get something. We do it because Jesus is worthy. And we have this inner compulsion to repay Him. Not to give with a view toward getting back, but to give with a view toward what's already been given. It's a compulsion. And if you don't have that, and you don't know what I'm talking about, maybe this meeting will help you come to repentance. If you live an utterly self-absorbed, selfish life, I'm sorry, you are not walking in repentance. And if your brother lives that way or your sister lives that way, would you please just acknowledge that the cure is repentance? If your spouse lives that way or your child lives that way, you know it in your heart. You know it. And there's no amount that you can pour into the vortex of selfish demand that will ever satisfy it. It says, the Lord satisfies the hunger of the righteous, but the craving of the wicked he will never fulfill. So I want to come full circle and say, incredible things are afoot. A church is starting in Wisconsin in addition to the congregation that's already begun there through the chapels. A church is starting in Wisconsin. A church is going to start in Tennessee. A church is going to start in northern Arkansas. A church is going to start in New Mexico. We're going to see it. We're going to see it. And you need to evaluate your lives. And you need to say, is it me for the kingdom or the kingdom for me? Because if it's the latter, you're in the wrong place. But if it's the former, I promise you, if you'll give with no view toward getting back, if you'll give from the heart for love, you will never outgive God. You will never outgive God when he puts a blessing on your table and you think, wow, I can't believe it. You watch him start to shake that blessing until all the cracks and gaps of air are gone. And then you watch God put his own hand on it to press it a little fuller and fill you up more than you can contain. Gratitude 
is going to mark those who have lived for love because they're not going to be able to believe all that God has done for them. They actually mean it when they sing the song, He's done so much for me, I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. He's done so much for me. Oh, and He didn't just take away my sin. He took away my selfishness, which is the worst sin, actually. He took away my meaninglessness. He took away my emptiness. He took away my vanity. And He gave me purpose. And He gave me brethren and sisters. Amen. And He gave me a sacrifice that I could participate in. So what am I saying? If I had to distill it down, here's what I'm saying. Let me give you one sentence. If you feel cheated and empty, you need to give more. That's what I'm saying. If you feel cheated and empty, you have not made an acceptable sacrifice. That's what I believe the Bible is saying. And I challenge every one of us to consider those moments when the devil comes in with that lie. Shake ourselves free from the accusation that says you're a hard man and say, God, show me where to lay my life down. What can I do for you? I can't quote it exactly, Mom, and you could probably say it better because you said it in the first place. But you said some years ago, you said, if you're able to tally up all the hard sacrifices you've given for God, that just shows that you gave them from the wrong motive. Because the sheep say, when did I do any of that? They're just so caught up in loving Jesus and others, they're not even aware. They're not keeping a spreadsheet of what they've given and a demand spreadsheet of what they ought to be receiving. Let's just give ourselves to God and trust Him with all our heart. Let's give everything for the furtherance of the gospel, for the furtherance of love. There are so many needs around us. Look at that youth choir that's coming together. Are you investing in the second and third generation? Find a place where the devil is laughing and come alive with a burden and a sacrifice to make the difference. Isn't that what David did? David did? Come on. Didn't he go down with wheat, cheese, questions, report, and he heard the devil laughing. That's all it takes for an honest man who's completely identified with the kingdom. He's just got to hear the devil laughing. Something rises up inside of him. Is there not a cause in Israel? What will be done for the man who puts away this uncircumcised buffoon? Amen. And his calling was born that day because it revealed an indignation in him toward any place where the devil might have a right to laugh. Does the devil laugh at the cleanliness of your home? Roll the reproach out. Does the devil laugh at your consecration? Roll the reproach out. Does the devil laugh at your garden? Does he laugh at the way you treat your animals? Does he laugh at the way you handle your money? Roll the reproach out. Get rid of it. Let something rise up inside of you that says status quo won't work. Have you been around some backsliders who snicker and mock and laugh? Make a note of everything they laugh at and come back to the kingdom and say, I found my place. I'm going to roll reproach out of every place where the devil's laughing so that the glory of God might rest there. 
Is it you for the kingdom or is it the kingdom for you? Amen. It's me for the kingdom. Thank you.